Welcome to the last of our programs in this series focusing on the kingdom of God, Jesus' favorite topic. It might be wise to look ahead and see what prophecy has to tell us in regard to the events that lead up to the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. We've been pointing out in this series of programs dedicated to a focus on the kingdom of God that Jesus was a Jew who assumed with others of his compatriots that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, was a divine revelation of God's purpose in history. And God's purpose in history was particularly well outlined by Daniel the prophet in the second and seventh chapters of his book. And there the kingdom of heaven is going to be established under the whole heaven, that's to say, on the earth. And it's going to be a government supervised by the Son of Man, Jesus himself, in company with the saints. Christianity, therefore, is an invitation to prepare now for a position of co-rulership with Jesus in that future kingdom to be initiated when Jesus returns in power and glory to raise the dead and to establish sound government worldwide. In that glorious future era, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God, the lion will lie down with the lamb, even poisonous snakes will be harmless, and the time will come when that prayer of the crowd in Mark chapter 11, verse 10, will be fulfilled. Blessed, they said, is the coming kingdom of our father David. That coming kingdom of our father David is the heart and center of the kingdom of God, Jesus' favorite topic. But what does the Bible have to tell us about those events which will immediately lead up to the establishment of this new divine regime on earth, the kingdom of God? If you have a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 9. That remarkable prophet Daniel was given extraordinary visions of the future, and one of the most significant, and perhaps the most basic for all understanding of prophecy, is found in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. I'm referring to the prophecy in Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27, but in order to catch the drift and the thrust of the argument in those precious verses, we must go to the context in the earlier part of chapter 9 of Daniel. According to Daniel 9 and verse 1, a period of 70 years had been divinely marked off for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem which had been inflicted by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Daniel's knowledge, from his reading of Jeremiah, he tells us, his knowledge of this allotted span of time destined to end with the restoration of the city of Jerusalem, leads him to pray for that promised restoration. This restoration, he knew, must occur after seventy years. Daniel's plea to God is for God's face to shine once again on the desolate sanctuary. Daniel 9, verse 17. In his own words, his prayer is, on behalf of the holy mountain of God, that's to say the temple mount, in Jerusalem, verse 20. Now, it's in the light of these facts that the famous so-called 70 weeks prophecy is presented to us in Daniel 9, verse 24 to 27. The foregoing context about the 70 years which had elapsed for the desolations of Jerusalem is essential to our understanding of Gabriel's famous revelation in Daniel 9, 24 to 27 because Gabriel's message is in direct response to Daniel's request that Jerusalem be saved from her time of trouble. 
the new information revealed to Daniel discloses a further period of 77s. The Hebrew word is Shavuim. Sevens, in fact, of years. Periods of seven years. That's to say, 490 years in all. Those 490 years have been mapped out, Gabriel says, in the divine plan for Daniel's people and the holy city. The end result will be an ultimate completion of desolations, this time not after 70 years, as happened under King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, but after 490 years. Following this period, everlasting righteousness, the kingdom of God, in other words, will be introduced to the earth and peace will be restored to the holy city in perpetuity, as verse 24 of Daniel 9 tells us. Now, the message received by Daniel from Gabriel tells us that there will be war during that final terrible period. There will be war, in fact, until the end of the 70th week. At the heart of Gabriel's message is the fact that, and I quote, until the end there will be war, desolations are determined until a complete destruction is poured out upon the desolator. In other words, the period of 490 years will come to an end, thankfully, when the wicked ruler who is introduced in this prophecy is finally brought to his end. I'm sure you'll notice that there's a parallel here with the previous desolation of 70 years during the Babylonian captivity. At the end of it, Jerusalem was restored. So also during the last seven of the 490 years, there will be war, desolations are determined. After that, all will be finally well. Restoration will follow. The logic of Daniel 9 works like this. The 70 weeks prophecy must be understood in terms of the inner logic of the whole of chapter 9. In other words, the revelation provided by Gabriel must answer to the request made by Daniel. Request and response must correspond. The end of the 490 years, therefore, must provide the desired solution to Daniel's problem. How long will it be until the city is finally restored? Now, it's been maintained by one school of thought that A.D. 33 or 34 marks the end of that 490-year period. Now, we can test that hypothesis by asking whether any war ceased or whether the city was restored at that time. The answer is that no war was going on in the seven-year period from A.D. 27 to 34, and no restoration of Jerusalem occurred at the end of that period. It's therefore impossible that A.D. 34 can mark the end of the 490 years. The so-called historical view claims that the 70 weeks ended in about 33 or 34 A.D., but no restoration of the city occurred then. Desolations did not terminate. And what's more, further desolation of Jerusalem followed 40 years later in A.D. 70. The missing element in this so-called historical view of prophecy is the restoration of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. What then is the proper time for the end of this 490-year period? Clearly it's the same end to which all the other prophetic chapters in Daniel direct us, the end of the age marked by the return of Jesus to establish his kingdom on the earth. It's disturbing to the organic unity of Daniel to recognize in chapter 2, 7, 8, and chapters 11 and 12 the end marked by the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus, and then to place the end in chapter 9 at a quite different time, namely in A.D. 34. 
There's an impressive harmony to be found in all of the events described by all the predictive chapters of Daniel. In each, the final tyrant, the Antichrist, comes to an end at the hands of the Messiah, and that's the Messiah when he returns as Jesus will in the future. Chapter 2 of Daniel shows us the ten toes being crushed by the arrival of the Messianic kingdom. Chapter 7 shows us the three-and-one-half-year reign of the final tyrant, the Antichrist, followed immediately by the kingdom to be administered by the Son of Man and the saints. Chapter 8 of Daniel describes how that tyrannical king, that final ruler, will oppose the Messiah, but he'll be brought to ruin. And chapter 11 and verse 45 sees that same king destroyed just prior to the resurrection, which follows in chapter 12 and verse 1. But chapter 9 of Daniel follows exactly the same pattern. The desolator, the final tyrant, is going to be annihilated at the completion of the last period of seven years. The week will terminate when, and I quote, destruction is poured out on the desolator, Daniel 9, verse 27. But no such event occurred in A.D. 33 or 34, and so A.D. 33 and 34 cannot be the terminus for this 70-week prophecy. The proper terminus must be the time of the arrival of the Messiah at the second coming. In this way, the organic harmony of Daniel is preserved. Now, Daniel asks for information about the length of time which must run before the desolations come to an end and the sanctuary is restored. It would be little comfort to be told that the moment of triumph is A.D. 34, since Jerusalem was totally destroyed again 40 years later in A.D. 70. In fact, that date of A.D. 70 would fall entirely outside the allotted 490 years if they ended in A.D. 34. This seems to be quite contrary to the natural sense of the whole of Daniel chapter 9. Gabriel's striking presentation in Daniel 9, 24 to 27 of the 70 weeks or 490 years in the form of 7 plus 62 plus 1 allows for the possibility of a gap between the 69th and the 70th period of seven years. Moreover, the gap principle is established by other chapters of Daniel. In chapter 11, a gap must exist somewhere between the reference to history, four kings yet to arrive in Persia, and the description of a future Antichrist in verse 21 onwards. All systems of interpretation recognize a gap in this chapter somewhere, and indeed in chapter 8 a gap must exist somewhere between the reference to Alexander as the notable horn, Alexander the Great, that is, in the 300s BC, and the subsequent description of a future Antichrist. The logic of Daniel's request and Gabriel's reply demand that on the completion of 490 years, final restoration and the introduction of the kingdom will occur. During the final seven years before the end, there will be war. A desolator will come on the wing of abominations. That phrase reminds us immediately of Jesus' reference to the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus simply confirms what had already been revealed by Gabriel in this celebrated prophecy in Daniel 9. Here's what we find in Daniel 9, 26 and 27. A wicked prince will impose a covenant on the many for one period of seven years, and during half of that seven-year period he will cause the service of sacrifice, in a rebuilt temple supposedly, to stop, and born on the wings of idle abominations, the wicked prince will carry on a desolating rule 
and this will go on until the end when the firmly decreed judgment will be poured out on the desolator. In other words, the Antichrist will rage for a final three and a half year period. Following that, Jesus will return in power and glory to establish the kingdom of God. It was to that kingdom that Jesus directed all of his gospel preaching. The heart of the good news is simply this. Jesus is coming back to establish peace on the earth in the kingdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea, in Mark 15, verse 43, was still waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Jesus commands us to pray, Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God will be the resolution of all the world's intractable problems. It will be the solution to the problem created at the beginning when Adam and Eve voted for the devil. The lies of the devil have been spread far and wide across our world. Jesus came bearing a message of hope, a message of truth, the gospel about the kingdom of God. With that message he invites you now to repent and first of all to grasp and believe with intelligent understanding the meaning of that gospel of the kingdom and then in the strength of that new understanding and the power of God's mind with you to develop the character necessary for you to be an incorruptible ruler with Jesus in that kingdom. Of course, as an added benefit, you will be granted immortality. That contract, that arrangement between God and ourselves through His Son Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, is the heart of the gospel message of the kingdom as preached by Jesus we thank you for your participation in this series of programs on the kingdom. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom, any or all of this series of 260 programs on the kingdom of God. And may God bless you always in your search for immortality in the coming kingdom of God on the earth.